Monday morning. I know. I know what I said yesterday at church. That all seven days of the week, God says it is good in the book of Genesis during the creation, except for Monday. (laughs) I know, but see, what that means then is that the blessing from Sunday is still with us upon us for Monday. Good morning. This is Peter John, Rogue Grace. And my dad texted me last night, said some really nice things about my sermon. He always does, but I wasn't feeling so awesome about my sermon You know, sometimes it happens where you just don't feel awesome about your sermon. And my dad basically said it was awesome. And you're saying, well, it wasn't, Pete. I don't care anymore. See, my dad said it was. (laughs) And you might be thinking, wow, that's putting a lot of stock in your dad. Yeah, well, he kind of knows what he's talking about when it comes to preaching. He's been doing it for a little bit, had some success to say the least, but my sermons are quite simple (laughs) because you see my brain was vacated during those brain operations. So I am approaching the word of God somewhat fresh very simple. For example, I looked through my notes that I have. And let me just give you an example. I was reading in my notes about how in the Garden of Eden, there's Adam and Eve. And then it says about God, he is Elohim, God, in the first couple of chapters. Then when he begins to interact, with Adam and Eve, it refers to him as Yahweh Elohim in the book of Genesis, right around chapter three, chapter three, yes, Yahweh Elohim. So he's Elohim when he creates, he's Yahweh Elohim when he relates to Adam and Eve. And then after they fall and they have Cain and Abel in chapter four, he is simply called the Lord, or Yahweh. Now, there's all kinds of applications you can make to that. One that I would make is, isn't it amazing how the more sinful Adam and Eve are, God goes from Elohim, then he creates them, Yahweh Elohim, then they fall, he's simply Yahweh. It's as though God is already setting into motion the path for salvation. That's one thing that I see out of that pattern I just mentioned. But see, whatever you might conclude about that fact that I just brought up, I forgot all about that. I had no idea. I just read it in my notes again. 
<laughs> so I'm relearning things, to say the least I'm relearning. That's putting it nicely. But I still remember. The amazing thing is it's not as though I've forgotten the scriptures or the Bible. Even after my brain surgeries, even when I was making no sense whatsoever, I could still speak and talk about the Bible. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm a preacher. I, I don't know, but I'll tell you what. I still remember everything from Genesis to Revelation that I knew before. I was even going over the books of the Bible this morning. I know them in order. So I know the Bible. It's those conclusions about the Bible that I'm relearning. And I suppose that is not a bad thing. Try it. If you can, come and approach the Bible with a new start and see what the Lord says to you.
In the scriptures, there is a divine divide. That is, the New Testament is not the new law, is it? How often I have people, have Christians, have treated it as such. As though they go over my... I remember my dad teaching on this a few times that when he was younger, young, a young man, it was easy to fall into the mode of making the New Testament the new law. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt do that. Instead of simply making it the New Testament or the New Covenant, it becomes the new law. And my dad broke away from that. And I hope to have broken away from that. Because the New Testament is not the new law. Now, is sin serious in the New Testament? Absolutely. Is grace serious in the New Testament? Even more so. See, all too often I think as Christians, oh, it's easy to make the New Testament the new law, isn't it? We're saved by faith, yes, and we're blessed by our performance. <laughs> we're justified by faith, uh-huh, and sanctified through our actions. Um, really, though, I like to think of it this way. Sanctification is simply your justification shining through. Have you ever thought about it that way? Sanctification, your, your process of becoming more like the Lord, your journey of becoming more and more holy is simply your justification shining through. It is justification on fire. Without understanding that, it's easy to become like, there was a group in the book of Acts called Believing Pharisees. Did you know that? In that upper room where they were meeting to hash out the standards and the issues of the day. There in Acts chapter 13 when Paul and Barnabas went into that upper room and there were Peter and John, and then there were, it says, believing Pharisees. It's so easy to become a believing Pharisee that is making no division between the law and the new covenant. When there is a huge life-changing distinction between the two. Now, here's something else for you to think about or to consider to be correct. You might consider it and find it incorrect, but consider it. What is that? Listen to this. Jesus, who often told people, who often told the culture, and thus often tells us to repent. Good, right? Listen to this. You will never find in any scripture, Jesus never declared to repent from sin. Look it up. You cannot find it. What he says 
And what he proclaimed was to repent from the old. (laughs) Repent from the old. Repent from the old covenant. Repent from the thinking that you have to be good to get to God. Repent from thinking that you have to be righteous. Repent from thinking that you are righteous. Repent from the old covenant. Yes, we repent from sin, but that is simply a result of repenting from the old covenant. So don't fall into cluttered Christianity or balanced grace. Divide the word of God, the old from the new. Because as you divide the word, then the word will divide you rightly as it should. Some people might say, Pete, that sounds like the gospel is not just good news, but too good news. You know, T-O-O, too good news. I would say good. We should be changed with this, quote, too good news. Now, here's an example of what I'm talking about found in Galatians when the Apostle Paul brings up Sarah And he brings up Abraham and Isaac as an example of these things. Specifically, Sarah and Hagar. You know, Hagar, the, for at least one night, mistress of Abraham, the servant of Sarah, who was an Egyptian. And Abraham, by the invitation of his own wife, had a relationship one night, to say the least, with Hagar, and they had a son named Ishmael. And Paul points out, as you may know, that Hagar is a picture of the law, for she comes from Egypt, Mount Sinai, imagine that. And then Sarah is a picture of grace. So, in other words, when Abraham was meddling in with the law, when faith was meddling in with the law, it produces an Ishmael, a a combination of, of, if you would, grace and the law, or faith and the law. But when Abraham finally came together with Sarah, with grace, it produces an Isaac, which means laughter. So, the law was to be subordinate to grace, even as Hagar was subordinate to Sarah. How often though, like the Pharisees, we can, Christians can, even subtly make love or grace subordinate to the law. But grace is higher and grace is above the law. It is based on a better Covenant, hence my study in Hebrews as of late, based on better promises to go back to the law. One is falling from grace. Don't continue in the law. Be saved by grace. Don't be a believing Pharisee. (laughs) So having said that, when we return, let us open the book of Hebrews once again. J. 
justified Because of you I have been justified Jesus you have made me new inside inside Sanctified Because of you I'm being sanctified I was dead but I've been made alive alive in you you took my filthy rags you took my filthy rags you took my filthy rags and gave me robes of righteousness justified because of you I have been justified Jesus you have made me new inside inside sanctified because of you I'm being sanctified I was dead but I've been made alive alive Took my filthy rags. You took my filthy rags. You took my filthy rags and gave me robes of righteousness.
The writer of Hebrews pens these words. Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Hebrews 8 verse 6, next verse. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them. When the Lord says, behold, the days are coming, Jeremiah 31, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, for they did not continue in my covenant, for this is the covenant I will make. I will put my laws into their hearts and write them on their minds. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and say, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will remember their sins no more. Oh. Does it get any richer than what I just read? No. That's it, folks. That's the sweet spot. The new covenant foretold by Jeremiah and also by Ezekiel. Ezekiel the prophet spoke of this new covenant as well. In chapter 36, he speaks of a covenant God does through Ezekiel that they, the people who are unclean shall be clean, not should be clean. They shall be clean. And it's not a commandment, but God says, I will do this in Ezekiel 36. Not you should keep my commandments but I will make you clean. Now you will keep his commandments, but it's only because God has already cleansed you, regardless of whether you did or did not keep his commandments. See how that works. You are a new covenant Christian, not an old covenant person. If you are a Christian, it means you have a new covenant that I just read from Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Nowhere in Ezekiel does God say, now change your heart. No, he says, I will give you a new heart. <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Lord. I don't have to change my heart. You give me a new heart in the new covenant. You might be feeling, well, yeah, well, my heart is on this Monday of all days. Not so soft, Pete. All you have to do is say, Lord, give me a new heart. I don't earn it. I didn't merit it, but I receive it by faith. That's the new covenant, my friends. I love this. This new covenant that God has given us. And he says, no one will teach. 
No one will teach another person, but each person will know the Lord. They shall all know me. See, I'm glad about this verse in the book of Hebrews and Jeremiah 31 because I'm a, quote, teacher. But even as I did yesterday, and I'm doing more and more due to my mm, my um, meltdown of the brain, literally, my job isn't to teach you new things, but to keep you established. You, you remember what Peter said? I, I, he says in, in, in Peter, he writes, I, I know that you know these things, but I want you to be established in them. And that's what I get to do. What a, what a relief. When I was younger, <laughs> it used to be I have to come up. I feel like I need to, to approach the sermon with a new insight that people will say, wow, that's amazing. Now I just say, I'm not going to tell you anything amazing in and of itself as a new revelation. I'm going to give you amazing grace, amazing New Testament doctrine. I love that. I need that because of my brain or lack thereof. And I'm glad for that, that that's exactly what the new covenant entails. That's what it preaches. And so it concludes chapter 8, we'll end chapter 8 today in verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, God makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. If I think that God will bless me, save me, fill me, because I have merited it or deserved it, I am dealing with an obsolete covenant. In other words, no go. It just isn't any longer merited or deserved. Receiving the goodness and the grace and the Holy Spirit of God is only and simply based on grace. Here's a little Johnny Cash, R.I.P., singing the Gospel Road. Two weary travelers from Jerusalem Walking with a stranger down that dusty highway Two weary travelers from Jerusalem Walking with a stranger down that dusty road And they walked another hour to Emmaus town And shared their supper till the sun went down When he broke the bread and the word spread around That Christ was on that gospel road Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John Told about Jesus on that dusty highway Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John Told about Jesus on that dusty road How his pillows were the stones where they laid his head How the hungry five thousand on the hill were fed 
How they sent him to the cross But he came back instead To walk upon that gospel road Paul and Silas in the midnight jail Were talking about Jesus on that dusty highway Paul and Silas in the midnight jail Talking about Jesus on that dusty road And they sang out rejoicing and the jail split wide The doors busted open and they walked outside But they went back to preaching through the countryside And walking down that gospel road So two by two and three by three They walked in his footsteps on that dusty highway Two by two and three by three They walked in his footsteps on that dusty road And they died in shipwrecks and in lion's dens Then they died on crosses and the spears of men But when one fell back, two more would start again To walk upon that gospel road Two weary travelers from Jerusalem Walking to Emmaus on that gospel highway Two weary pilgrims from Jerusalem Walking to Emmaus on that gospel road On the highway to Galilee is Emmaus town It was here eyewitnesses saw him walking down When the three broke the bread then the word spread around That Christ was on that gospel road Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John Told about Jesus on that dusty highway Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John Told about Jesus on that dusty road How his pillows were the stones where he laid his head How the hungry five thousand on the hill were fed How they sent him to the cross but he came back instead To walk upon that gospel road Talking about Jesus on that gospel highway Preaching about Jesus on that gospel And there's a little John Cash for you. <laughs> ah, that's great. Listen. The devil is a lawyer who wants us to be self-conscious. Why else would he tempt Adam and Eve to take of what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not of the tree of evil. Nor is it called the tree of drunkenness and adultery. Or the tree of Oregon lottery. It is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because by taking of that fruit, Adam and Eve were self-conscious. They saw their true selves. Mirror, mirror on the wall, right? Their eyes were opened. Don't give yourself an eye exam, E-Y-E, by giving yourself an eye exam, capital I. That will lead to eye problems. 
So let me help you not to give yourself an eye exam and have eye problems. Listen to the difference. I want to list for you before we hit our next song. The difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Okay. Get blessed by this. Praise God for a new covenant, right? Praise the Lord that he saw I couldn't keep the law. So he sent his son to keep the law for me. Oh man, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for keeping the law for us. Okay, so here's the difference. The old covenant is six days and then rest. Remember that? The new covenant is rest and then six days, right? The Sabbath is no longer the seventh day. The Sabbath is now the first day, as it were, on Sunday. So from six days, then rest in the old to now in the new rest and then six days. Rest and from that comes work, see? The old covenant makes the demand, thou shalt. It's a correct demand, but it's one that I cannot keep. The new covenant gives the supply in which we just read, God says, I will. From thou shalt in the old to I will in the new. The old covenant, I get what I deserve. And that's not a good thing, by the way. In the old covenant, I get what I deserve. In the new covenant, I get what Christ deserves. And that is a good thing. In the old covenant, God says, I will remember your sin to the fourth generation. sounds like a whale is in our studio. Is that a whale? <laughs> wow. Somehow a whale got in here. Anyways, God says, I will remember your sin to the fourth generation. In the new covenant, God says, I will remember your sin no more. Can you hear that whale on the air? If you can't, that's fine. But if you can, let me know. In the Old Covenant, we read, in the Old Covenant, how many times can you read this? Blessed are those who do not sin. And you know what? That is true. When we stay away from sin, when we refrain from sin, we are blessed. But the New Covenant says, Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. In the old covenant, uncleanliness was transferred. Don't touch an unclean person or item. It's really hard to do this while a whale is in the studio. <laughs> in the old covenant, you had uncleanliness transferred in the new covenant cleanliness is transferred i don't know if you're able to follow along with what i'm saying right now in spite of the fact that there's a whale 
In the Old Covenant, water was turned into blood. Remember that? When Moses did that in Egypt, water to blood. In the New Covenant, water to wine. The Old Covenant finally demands perfect behavior. The New Covenant gives a perfect conscience. So when it comes to my sin, so often, as I've noted before on this radio program, how rarely sin is referred to as a verb in the New Testament. Something like the ratio is like 45 to 1. That the Bible, the New Testament, refers to sin not as a, a, a verb, but as a noun. 45 to 1. Because here's the deal. On the cross, Jesus Christ took my verbs, my sins, that now I receive his noun, his righteousness. Praise the Lord. Jesus is so good. Our salvation is so right. It's so good. It almost sounds too good to be true. That's because it is in and of myself. Without the Bible, without God's word, it is. But because it's not of myself and it's because it is God's word, it's so good that it has to be true. We'll be right back. Can I pour my heart out to a listening ear? Well, I see this life, its valleys and mountains And I think of all the roads that brought me here Oh, that brought me here Walking down, walking down the road Well, I've questioned my reasons, this life I'm living I questioned my ability to judge wrong from right Well, I questioned all the things I've ever called certain My race, my religion, my country, my mind But the one thing I don't question is you You really love me like you say you do You really love me like you say you do So I've questioned significance, meaning and relevance Does the work I'm doing really matter at all? Well, I question my friendships, a liar's dependence Who will still be here when I fall? But the one thing I don't question is you You really love me like you say you do yeah, the one thing I don't question is you You really love me like you say you do So hold me Come on now, hold me oh, oh. Hold me Come on, I need your love Stays the same All I know at the end of the days Your love remains 
And the one thing I don't question is you You really love me like you say you do Yeah, the one thing I don't question is you You really love me like you say you do So hold me Hold me I'm lost without you All right. So we figured out what that in-house whale was. It wasn't Finding Nemo. <laughs> I asked just that. What is that whale movie? Where the whales talk? Finding Nemo. Nope. It was some construction that was being done. However, from what I understand, you couldn't hear it anyways. So I said, keep on going, guys. I don't care. Anyways. Listen to, to what I want to say now. Well, you don't have to listen. Of course. But listen. Rules follow love. I know this as a dad because my kids need to know that they are loved in order to keep the rules. Now, the devil wants to shroud the love of God from you and I so that if there is the attempt to keep rules... It's not because we are motivated by love. But listen. Grace supplies to meet the demands, the commandments of God. To know that he loves you no matter what, regardless, is what is actually the power to keep his commandments. God says, I will love you. So that you keep my commandments. I will give to you so that you will give to others. That's how it works. Pretty cool. So it's not that necessarily love follows the rules. <laughs> it's that the rules follow love. Big difference. Thank you. I'm so glad. Thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful for that. That love doesn't follow the rules so much as the rules follow love. Yeah, yeah. because I love God, I keep the rules. But, but when it comes to God, to me, for me, he loves me. And that is what causes me to keep his rules or want to. Anyways, I try. Like you, I'm not perfect. My wife can testify to that fact. But I know I'm perfectly loved. And so are you. Cool. Come out tonight. 
We have my brother opening up God's word. I love Monday nights. I love the word being opened by my brother. I love the worship. It's so cool. I love communion. I love the people. Come on out. Join us on Monday night for music that's a little louder. Pretty cool. Good stuff. I have a mountaintop retreat coming up based on Romans chapter 8. So, looking at the entire book of Romans, I'm just emphasizing chapter 8. So, sign up for that if you want. Love to see you up there on the mountaintop Friday night and then Saturday morning as well. Thank you for tuning in. May the Lord bless your day. Not only may he, but along with that, he will. The Lord shall bless your day because all blessings are spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. It is his work and not your own that secures the blessing of God upon you today. Me too. God bless you.